Rigdon. People, by their nature, are suggestible and initially inclined to imitate. At that, they always strive for something new, often without knowing what in particular. By the way, why is a person always lacking something and is searching for and learning new things? Because the soul pushes him to search for its native spiritual world. But different light filters in the form of subpersonalities and the animal nature which dominate in human consciousness distort the vector of the search. A number of problems in man's spiritual quest are created also by the associative perception of the material brain. After all, the spiritual world is different from the material one, and everything that a person perceives here, as they say, with his five senses, is the perception of only a small part of the three-dimensional world of the material environment, which is furthermore viewed through the prism of associative material thinking. In other words, by thinking in categories and associations of the three-dimensional world, man tries to understand what the spiritual world is. Anastasia, through the prism of material thinking, well said, and the essence is expressed so accurately. Rigdon, yes, as you know, the human brain is tuned to the frequency of the animal nature from birth, although it does not mean that one cannot change these settings later. One can. The brain is programmed to several states of consciousness, but change is possible only through personal desire and aspiration of man himself. For the most part, people do not even know about all this. That is why, during their lives, they behave just like any other intelligent matter. When a person encounters knowledge which broadens his perception of the world, the first thing that triggers in him is the animal nature. Roughly speaking, the animal nature rears up, revealing the primary vice in a human, pridefulness, so as not to lose its power over man. The person thinks that he already knows everything and can do it all, but when he plunges into the knowledge, he understands that this is far from the truth and that such initial judgment was wrong. Anastasia Yes, pridefulness is a bane of many people, and everyone is prone to it in varying degrees. I believe it is important for each person to know the secret enemy in the face at least in order to understand oneself and one's nature better. You once mentioned in a conversation that pridefulness is a manifestation of governance of the animal mind in a person. Rigdon. That is true. It is very difficult for a person to realize that what he considers to be his own thoughts, which form his self, are a mere result of his choice between the will of the spiritual nature and the will of the animal nature. This is particularly difficult to understand for people who, since their childhood, have lived in a society with the corresponding consumeristic priorities, such as, for instance, priorities of materialistic psychology and related values. It is just as difficult for those whose consciousness is limited by a single religious, philosophical, or some other concept built on the principles of dominance of the values of the material world, which have been covered up by spiritual postulates. 
it is pride that motivates many thoughts of a human. Pride is a feeling. A feeling as such is a force, energy. This is the basis on which the dominant thought arises. It is very important what a thought is colored with. Desires of the animal nature or desires of the spiritual nature. After all, this determines whether the feeling of, for example, pride will turn into pridefulness and hence a sense of self-love, exaltation of self above others or into the feeling of noble internal honor for your own deeds on the spiritual path in aspiration for God. Here, perhaps we should delve into the human nature, into the origin of his deepest aspirations and their projections in the world of matter. In the life of a human, it is very important what kind of feelings a person begets with his choice and accumulates throughout his life. Why? Because with this baggage, with this information, or figuratively speaking, with this self, the personality, he is to leave for beyond after death of the body and answer for this choice of his. Now let us look at the mechanism of origination of a feeling. The initial impetus of any feeling comes from the deepest inner force which comes from the soul. Since the soul is a very powerful particle from the non-material world, it always has one vector of movement, one wish, to escape from this world into its native world, which people call the spiritual world, the world of God. This initial impetus from the soul is the basic principle of generation of the powerful, deepest feelings. If one uses this power purposefully on the spiritual course, then it will be sufficient for the person, regardless of the past, to leave the cycle of rebirths during his or her life. When such a deep feeling arises, our material brain begins to react to that power and consequently to interpret these feelings through our consciousness in its own way. That is, the person guided by his associations begins to interpret the arising feeling according to the thinking pattern that he is accustomed to. At this stage, it is the person's worldview that plays a very important role. This includes everything that has been put into his consciousness since childhood, the entire accumulated life experience, the formed behavior and thinking patterns, including those shaped by mass media, which became rooted in his subconscious, as well as his personal scope of knowledge, the ability to control thoughts and focus his attention. The person's dominant worldview determines how and where the power emanating from the soul is spent. After all, Consciousness often simply splits and distorts this inner single power, the deepest feeling, through the prism of dominant thoughts. Anastasia, can this process be compared, for example, to how a sunbeam is refracted in a triangular glass prism, i.e., to the decomposition of the beam into a multicolored rainbow spectrum? Rigdon, absolutely. This process can be figuratively compared to light dispersion when a single wave is divided into several waves of different lengths. Consciousness, with the accumulated experience of its associations, 
is like a prism which divides the single force and directs it to numerous small constituents, thoughts, adding hues to this force. Whatever is dominant in the person's consciousness, such as the shade of thoughts, such are the desires. Thanks to this force, thoughts from the animal nature make desires themselves hyper-colorful and attractive in an illusory way. That is, in essence, they do not correspond to reality once realized, because they're hollow. Simply put, the dominant thoughts on which attention is focused direct the power of that single deepest feeling towards implementing a person's desires. Anastasia As they say, force will always be force. It is the person's choice and where he directs this force that matter. Rigdon Absolutely right. Take, for instance, the feeling of pride or of hatred. There is a contemporary proverb, love and hate are just one step apart. As of today, neuroscientists have already confirmed that when the feelings of hatred or romantic love arise in a person, for some reason, one and the same areas of the brain become active, even though these feelings are fundamentally different. When scientists reach scientific understanding of the force that lies at the basis of the dominant thought, they will understand why this happens. In fact, everything is simple. After all, it is not a matter of external circumstances or the fact that someone has affected the person's megalomania, offended, said, or did something wrong. The matter is solely about the inner feelings of the offended person himself. It is just that the animal nature, which is dominant in the consciousness of this person, uses the same power of the deepest feelings, only colors it into other thoughts with help of the imagination, presenting everything as a negative situation. Furthermore, this invented sketch story is then filled in with different associations which the person has gathered from the behavior pattern imposed onto him in similar situations. And there you have the subject of a conflict. There are times when the animal nature simply distorts or substitutes notions. For example, a person starts complaining, I do everything for others, but nobody does anything for me. This is precisely a substitution. The animal nature is a consumer. The spiritual nature is the benefactor. If you trace the root of the offense, you will find it inside yourself. External resentment towards someone is a result of you losing to your animal nature. Resentment indicates that you were wrong towards first of all yourself. Distrust in yourself and doubts arise from not knowing the truth. Ignorance of the truth from reluctance to look inside yourself. For the truth is there. The truth is life or death. Fear of the truth, which comes from the animal nature, distorts it, trying to postpone it. But the truth is inevitable, no matter what choice the person makes. Not even a dungeon will deprive a luminous soul of freedom, and no earthly power will set free an animal doomed to death. Anastasia 
So in essence, it means that in conflict situations, people waste their power intended for spiritual growth? Rigdon. And they waste it foolishly, choosing the animal nature for which they will subsequently have to answer. The ancients, while explaining the spiritual journey of human, figuratively compared the body to a boat in which person sails the ocean of illusions heading for the lighthouse of the soul. The animal nature and the animal mind, on the other hand, were compared to an all-pervasive enemy who seeks to occupy man's mind with temporary unimportant things and distract from the eternal, from the light of the soul's lighthouse. After all, a predilection for the illusion of matter narrows the outlook and limits the mind to the problems of the boat, not extending further than one meter from its edge. This is how man's enemy tries to lead a person astray from the right direction. However, one shouldn't be deluded by the ocean of illusions and the short stay in the boat. When a person finishes his voyage, he will abandon the boat on the shore as something temporary which is no longer needed for his journey and is subject to decay and destruction. Everything visible will disappear and turn into nothing, the way a burning candle disappears. Only the one who is not attached to the visible things takes care of the soul. As wise people said, save your soul, for its catcher is not sleeping. Keep guard over every hour and each minute, and use your life for the benefit of saving your soul. Anastasia Only the one who is not attached to visible things takes care of the soul. That is really so. It is precisely the visible which to a large extent tempts people in their thoughts. The discovery of invisible facets which are present in them and which are perceived through the deepest feelings helps them not only to feel the world of the soul, but also to desire it more than anything in the material world. I've met many people who are walking the spiritual path without surrendering to their animal nature. Yes, sometimes they do lose to it at certain moments, but then they realize this and gain valuable experience of avoiding such traps of it. Such people often ask how to protect themselves against attacks of the animal nature and how to prevent their manifestations, how to recognize them and avoid development of a negative situation in themselves. Rigdon One simply needs to know the mechanism of attacks of the animal nature, their origin, and learn how to control oneself. Note that when a person stays on the spiritual wave, develops himself, and does spiritual practices, he has an expanded state of consciousness. In meditations, for example, he feels that his consciousness kind of goes beyond the usual facets of perceiving the world. And most importantly, the person experiences feeling of joy, happiness emanating outwards from the soul. That is, as though from within him, from the depth of his feelings to the outside surrounding world. It is this feeling that the brain identifies as feelings of heavenly happiness joy, and freedom. Consciousness becomes clear, sharp. All the earthly problems seem trifles compared to this feeling of native home, of immense peace and eternity. 
Accordingly, the mood also becomes cheerful, elevated, and actions become filled with power. Now let us examine what happens to a person when the animal nature attacks him. Attacks of the animal nature can be different. You must know your enemy by sight, as they say. To begin with, let's examine the violent attack of the animal nature, which is based on resentment, a sense of dissatisfaction with oneself, or excessive self-criticism, under the common slogan of, Life didn't work out, the victim position. First of all, such a violent attack of the animal nature can be described as an external pressure. If you look carefully from the perspective of the observer from the spiritual nature, from where this pressure stems, which can be sensed even at the physical level, you will feel it coming exactly from the outside, from top to bottom, as if pressure from the side of the head or from the back to the chest. As a result of such a violent attack of the animal nature, within a short period of time, one turns from an active individual into a passive person, becomes disoriented. He seems to lose some kind of a foundation, a base under himself. Negative images, thoughts, and far-fetched problems suddenly surface and start playing in his consciousness, drawing and focusing his attention on them. When this happens, a person experiences a state of dissatisfaction and emotional stress, which manifests itself mainly in standard patterns. It gets unpleasant and uncomfortable inside, as if something is getting compressed inside the chest. It is difficult to focus on any work, because extraneous thoughts are constantly distracting him to muse on one and the same sore subject. Resentment, or as they say, an emotional pain, arises. Bad thoughts weigh one down. Self-blame and self-torment for something begin. A tangle of negative thoughts, associations, and emotions appears. In general, attention becomes focused on the problem which is being intensified by the animal nature. Person's consciousness narrows down to the point of this problem. He starts seeing only this problem and nothing else. For example, a person turns on the TV set trying to distract himself from these thoughts. But consciousness, as if on purpose, clings and focuses his attention on those fragments of programs which touch on his sore subject. Here's another example. A person in this state begins a discussion with somebody on unrelated subjects. But eventually, he does not even notice that consciousness still unwittingly takes the conversation into the channel of the same contrived problems. If a person experiences such a state, he must understand that this obsession with negative thoughts and such a depressed state of consciousness is actually the beginning of an attack of the animal nature. Anastasia In other words, the person sort of reacts to the situation one-sidedly. Rigdon. Absolutely, he simply loses a holistic perception of the picture of the world. His consciousness narrows. A person becomes obsessed with a certain problem. Figuratively speaking, before this he would see a wide range of colors, but during an attack of the animal nature, 
he is focused only on the black color, while other colors cease to exist for him. He does not seem to notice them. What is the purpose of this violent attack of the animal nature? Its goal is to block the connection of the personality with the soul, which is why there is a kind of pressure from the outside to the inside. During such an attack, figuratively speaking, the signal from the soul does not reach the consciousness of the personality in its pure form, as it happens in spiritual practices, and is significantly distorted through the activation of contaminated filters. It is important to know that the animal nature mostly catches the human at his own weaknesses, for it is aware of all of the person's weak spots, of his past and present, of all his secret dreams on which he once focused his attention, wishing for this or that benefaction of this world for his precious self. And what is more, the desires which burden the spiritual way do not appear in a person or rather in his new personality, out of nowhere. These are mostly traditional, materially inclined behavior patterns, which dominate in the surrounding society, which is why the majority of people are dominated by such qualities from the animal nature as egocentrism, envy, immense greed, and pity for their precious selves. Anastasia Yes, man gets very quickly infected with motivations from the animal nature. Rigdon By the way, I would like to mention that during an attack of the animal nature, a person sees himself only as being a good person. He is supposedly super in all respects, and everyone else is nothing less than a creepy scum. When a person is in such a state, you'd better not tell them directly that they themselves are to blame because their negative qualities have manifested. Otherwise, such people will immediately direct all this negativity in your direction as well. His animal nature will immediately begin to aggressively defend its positions. The fact is that while in such a state, a person does not consciously perceive your explanations and observations regarding his personality. Why does this happen? First of all, because the person's consciousness is narrowed at this moment and because he is obsessed with his own egoism. In this state, nothing and nobody exists for a person other than me, myself, and I in various guises. Anastasia Well, the animal nature is a true master of laying the blame on somebody else and inventing external causes should you just give it a chance. Another favorite technique of the animal nature is to slip a thought to a person that will lead him in a vicious circle. It could have been completely different if only... By the way, readers often ask why this kind of looping of thoughts happens even if a person only feels worse because of this. Rigdon, for two reasons. First of all, this is the work of the animal nature. It creates internal conditions for the choice of the person. And what the personality gives preference to in its short life, the will of the spiritual nature or the animal one, good or bad thoughts, is the right of the personality itself. However, the priorities the person chooses daily form his afterlife destiny. Secondly, 
The looping of negative thoughts is just one of the techniques of the animal nature with which it draws man's attention to itself, making the personality serve the whims of the animal mind, thus wasting life energy on mortal things. The fact is that during such a looping of thoughts, a person engages in self-blame, becomes angry, and is constantly thinking about the past. Simply put, his consciousness narrows to an emotional, one-sided point of perception of some personal problem. At the same time, he does not even understand who, why, and for what purpose has set this very direction of thinking in him. And it is not even a matter of a specific contrived problem. Once this problem is solved, another one will surely appear. The truth of the matter is that it is necessary to learn to control oneself. Then there will be fewer inner problems, since it is those that external situations grow out of in a person's life. Anastasia, that's true, or else such running around in circles will continue until the end of life. It is just like in the proverb, you pull and he pulls, no matter who wins, both will fall. Rigdon. Sometimes, for half his lifetime, the person will nag at himself because of some missed opportunities as far as improving his life in the material world goes. He dreams of such unrealized happiness and sees it only in a good light for himself where his own importance, megalomania, is satisfied and takes the first place in his dreams. A person does not take into account that the animal nature is simply drawing another ideal illusion for him, and that his dream, once realized, would look entirely different from what he imagined. In this state, man does not understand that had everything happened differently, nobody knows what kind of a person he would be today, and whether he would have the conditions and opportunities that he now has. Since each step in life implies changes and entails a chain of events which shape the future of a person. Anastasia. Well, unless human begins to understand his nature, it will be difficult for him to realize what his true happiness lies in. Rigdon. There is another type of attack of the animal nature, the soft and subtle one, based on pridefulness. It is exactly the opposite of the violent type. During such an attack of the animal nature, a person thinks that he has everything under control, that he is so cool, that everyone around him is praising him. But if you look at this situation from the perspective of the observer from the spiritual nature and analyze these moments of self-admiration, then it becomes clear that all of them are based on self-obsession and egoism. Man's consciousness narrows in the same way he is similarly focused on his precious self, only this time in another direction. Metaphorically speaking, like a narcissus, he notices nobody around him other than himself. And the pressure is again felt from the outside to the inside, only it is not violent, but subtle, endearing, satisfying, with a sense of enjoying the outer. Anastasia what other traps can be expected from the animal nature? Rigdon The ways of its influence are diverse. 
For instance, you're doing an important task that will influence many people and their lives in a good way in the end. Already at the first stages of implementation of this task, the beast, the animal nature, starts planting ideas that require you to spend the same amount of efforts and time on them as on the main task. These ideas, which are really not important at the moment, begin to divert your attention with a multitude of their issues that require an immediate solution. Thus, you will simply get caught up in these problems, and as the saying goes, there will be much ado about nothing. But in the end, if you evaluate the efficiency rate of your actions, it will become clear that the mundane actions have not shown such a significant result as the initial action, which you abandoned, could have done. Yet, the time has been lost and efforts wasted. So this is a subtle substitution. Here's another version of an attack of the animal nature from the substitution of notions repertoire. For example, you have managed to notice an attack and were able to hold your position. But suddenly, some sort of panic starts inside. Something like, Help! I urgently want into eternity. What is to be done? How can I be saved immediately? This is another subtle substitution. Unfortunately, there are many such substitutions. It happens that while under the influence of the animal nature, and not bothering much with working on himself, a person only boasts about his spiritual development accomplishments in front of others. He thinks mistakenly, out of arrogance, that he is watching out for his animal fully armed. But in reality, this situation resembles the fable about the wolf and the hunter. Once upon a time, a wolf decided to go on a sortie alone so that he could later boss to his pack that on his own he went hunting for the human himself. At the same time, a man decided to go hunting alone so that he could later boss to huntsmen that he went hunting a wolf all by himself. So both of them went, the wolf and the man, and both of them were afraid, shivering from fear in the night. Both of them got saddled on the edge of a forest, having leaned against a worm tree. So they sat until dawn, pressed to each other back to back, out of fear, soothing themselves, only with the thought of how they would boss to their fellows that they were hunting all alone. They were warm and cozy, and they both were infinitely glad they had remained safe and sound. The wolf was happy that the hunter didn't get him, and the hunter was happy that the wolf didn't get him. Anastasia Well said. Many people do not bother about real work on themselves. They only soothe themselves with flattering thoughts. Later, they're surprised why they haven't got any significant results in their spiritual development, though they were hunting their animal many times. It is surprising how many subtle substitutions there are. The impression is that it is not only you who is learning more, but the animal doesn't sleep either that it is constantly improving itself on where else it can catch you. Rigdon, that is correct. The funniest thing is that the animal nature has standard same-type programs. People step on the same rake, and everyone thinks that they're the only ones who get hit on the forehead. Each person thinks that he has it worse than everyone else, 
and that it is just his obstacles that are the most difficult to overcome. But all this gloom is another trap of the animal nature to get a person to focus his attention on its purposes. By knowing these tricks, however, one can easily foresee and avert another attack, avoid traps. The most common programs of the animal nature are based on pridefulness, egocentrism, and fear. These negative feelings cause envy, jealousy, grief, resentment, self-pity, the desire to control and discuss others, to blame someone, fear of changes, fear of diseases, loss of the close ones, fear of loneliness, of the approach of old age, death, and so on. Here, the same processes of narrowing of consciousness take place, which I have already mentioned. But, as they used to say in the ancient times, he who climbs a high mountain laughs at everyday bustle. If a person seriously wants to take care of his personal spiritual development, he must, first of all, discipline his thoughts. As often as possible, he must be aware of the emotions he is experiencing and of his way of thinking, analyze their nature and the mechanism of emergence. He must be able to rise above the circumstances and the mundane. He must be able to perceive the world from the perspective of the observer from the spiritual nature and not from the usual perspective of the observer from the animal nature. The animal nature is constantly presenting a person with a big illusion about what human's inner world is, putting an emphasis on the personality's ego and what the outer world, which should supposedly be serving this ego, is in its interpretation. From the perspective of this illusion, it imposes on the personality erroneous opinions about the world and other people, thus distancing the person from perceiving the truth. In reality, everything is different. Anastasia You're right. One can say that we all are in illusion in this world until we start working on ourselves spiritually. When we start developing spiritually, then we understand that this world is also an illusion. Having practical experience of work on myself in each day, I have already realized on a deeper level how important it is to understand just who it is in you that is observing this world and based on what this observer makes conclusions.